This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by RSM. For challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Say, what was the best car introduced in the 2020 model year? We're going to be getting into that in today's show because we'll be talking about the North American Car and Truck and Utility of the Year Awards. And that's because I've got three of the jurors here with me today, including Gary Vasilash, the editor of Automotive Design and Production Magazine, Lindsey Brook with SAE Engineering, and Jeff Gilbert with WWJ News Radio 950. Great to have you all here. So I think we ought to start out with the finalists. You know, we'll, we'll get into some of the other cars. There was a long list of cars that, that made the list, but we've whittled it down to the three finalists. And then very shortly, we'll be announcing who the winners are. But the finalists are the Corvette C8, the Toyota Supra, and the Hyundai Sonata. And why don't we start out with the Supra? Gary, why do you think this car made the finalist list? Well, I think the... Primary reason is that it is a spirited, enthusiastic car, and jurors like to drive cars like that. I mean, it comes down to, to basically that it was, um, you know, an all-new development that they did with BMW, interestingly enough, that, that Toyota worked with them on developing um, the Supra. And, you know, it's a two-seater. You can throw it around, have a lot of fun with it, and I think that is primarily why it's on the list. I'm surprised. I'm really surprised. Uh, and we didn't know as jurors, you know, what our vote was going to be until we published it internally. So you mean where we counted all the votes of all the jurors? Counted all the votes. I was really surprised to see the Supra. Um, it, it is a very narrow focus vehicle. It is fun to drive, what Gary said. Uh, it's a little tight for me, but I'm out of the 90th percentile in terms of headroom. It's got blistered, it's got a blistered roof, which is supposed to give you a little bit more headroom, but uh, I'm really tight in that car. Um, it, it is kind of an odd duck. I mean, it's a Toyota that, um, that married a BMW or had a love child with BMW. Um, uh, you know, it's, this was a real surprise for me seeing Supra in this. Well, I enjoyed driving the BMW Supra. I thought it was nice. <laughs> but, 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 but seriously, it, it really, in many ways, did have more of a BMW personality than a Toyota personality. I can't wait to drive the Z4 that's its sister vehicle, because I actually think a vehicle like this is going to be a lot more fun open air on a sunny day. I see this as kind of a vehicle that they will be able to advertise going forward finalist for North American Truck of the Year, kind of like nominated for Academy Award? Yeah, you made a great point. Uh, the BMW Z4 is a convertible, mm -hmm. and uh, the Toyota Supra is not. I'm kind of with you, Lindsay. You're much taller than I am. I'm not yeah. that tall. I had to fold myself up to get in and out of the Toyota Supra. Once I was in the car, I liked it. 
But getting in and out, it was uh, not something that I'd want to do a whole lot. Those yeah. of us this size are kind of used to that. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> you know, here's yeah. the other thing. We know that uh, the CEO of Toyota, Akio Toyota, is a hardcore car nut. I mean, this guy is a true enthusiast. And he really regretted the fact that Toyota did not have a high-performance sports car. That's how this car came to be. And that's why they, they decided, geez, we don't think we're going to sell a lot. Maybe we ought to split the cost with somebody. That's where they came together with BMW. And that's why it's actually basically engineered by BMW and then Toyota Toyotaized uh, the whole thing. But uh, I'm kind of uh, surprised that uh, it made the finalist list, too, because one of the other vehicles we got to talk about that did make uh, the list is another two-seat sports car, and that's the C8 Corvette. The, the C8 Corvette feels more of a groundbreaker than the Toyota Supra does. The Supra feels like the kind of thing that's going to appeal to people who have a lot of money, who kind of remember the old Supra, who can afford a toy to play around with. But the C8 really takes the Corvette in a totally different direction. It's a radical different uh, powertrain, a radically different design. And, you know, we only got each 40 minutes to drive in it, so, but that 40 minutes was a blast. This vehicle was fun to handle, fun to drive in, and it's not been written about a lot. It's got a really cool interior. Yeah. It's got a cool interior. The cabin is really quiet. The noise vibration harshness abatement has been just excellent in this car. It is, you know, mid-engine car. Um, I think this car has a great story in terms of um, that base price, which, you know, optioned out is really instead of 60000 it's really 70 ish thousand, something like that. Uh, but it's still so much car, supercar for the money. And I think that's, that's a big one with this. Yeah, I think what, you know, two things are going on here. One, the Supra basically had a five-year run in the United States market, and that was it. It was the fourth-generation Supra. It came here period of time gone. And, and there was a lot of, of you know, residual love for that vehicle among people who were really anxiously waiting for it. The Corvette, as we know, has, has been with us, certainly for all of us sitting here, all of our lives, okay? That, that car has always been something. And every time there has been a new generation of that vehicle, it was always something that we look forward to to see, what are they gonna change this time? And for them to say, okay, let's go for a mid-engine vehicle. And, you know, and we heard the stories from, from some of our colleagues who have pointed out that uh, um, Zora Tantoff, who was the um, original chief engineer. chief engineer of the Corvette, always wanted to do mid-engine car, and it never happened, never happened. Finally, we have it, okay? And to have a, have a starting price of under 60 grand, including delivery, mm -hmm. Um, being able to have the opportunity to um, go really fast, but as you guys mentioned, I mean, the interior has such levels of refinement. I don't think a Corvette has ever had that before. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that these guys just didn't say, hey, let's see if we can make a car that will go really, really, really fast, and we'll do it at a price that people can afford. We'll have an exotic car that regular people can buy. But then they said, hey, why not give them an interior that they really want to be in for that period of time? And I think that's just the, the really remarkable part of mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. To me, what's so significant about the C8 is that it has been a front-engine rear-drive car since 1953. And, you know, performance is so important to Corvette. 
they've won the 24 hours of Le Mans in their class, I don't know how many times, more than I think anybody else ever has. But performance is so critically important to them. And they had taken that big V8 front engine rear drive formula as far as they could take it. There was, there was no way to improve the performance beyond what it was able to do. Yeah. They knew they had to move it to be a mid-engine car, like Ferrari, like Lamborghini, like Porsche, you know, everybody else that they're racing against, Ford GT has got that mid-engine layout. So this is a radical design change, radical engineering change for them. And you know that this is a different Corvette the instant you sit behind the steering wheel. Before you start up the engine, before you even get rolling, you just, it just feels and looks different. And then when you do get a chance to drive it, very predictable, very understandable. Some cars, you know, when you're driving them fast, they can snap out on you and, you know, you got to fight. Not the C8. It's, it's a very well-behaved car, but it's not a sissy car either. Mm. So I, I think it, it's a great blend, and that's why I do like the fact that it made the finalist list. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, given, too, um, the launch couldn't have been more ill-timed for a UAW strike as well. So all-new car. Existing plant, but total tear up, and right on the cusp of this, we have a strike. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's only been delayed, you know, I don't know, a month or so, something like that. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of years from now, we won't even remember that it was delayed a month. Mm -hmm. If it was Tesla, it wouldn't even be considered a yeah. delay. <laughs> yeah, it'd be early. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Right. Okay, there's another car on the list, uh, Lindsay, we got to talk about Hyundai Sonata. Hyundai Sonata. Um, you know, as we look at the North American sedan market shrinking, and who's left standing? Accord's left standing, Camry's left standing, the two big volume uh, players. And Hyundai, that's come really in the last, what, three generations of Sonata, this has been a, uh, a real shot across the bow of the incumbents, and now it's right in with the incumbents. And what's not to like about this car? It's roomy. Uh, I think it looks good. Um, there's a lot of efficiency in this car in terms of fuel, fuel economy, um, and the price is right. So um, real strong candidate in this in this category. And the vehicle has a ton of technology at what likely will be a reasonable price. It's got a couple of breakthrough semi-automatic technologies. Talk uh, about that a bit. Well, yeah, it's got a, it's not quite a summon technology, but it will pull the vehicle out of the parking place space for you. It's got... And what you're talking about is you can use your you phone. Use your, your phone. And I mean, everybody's parking spot. Right. Everybody's got a... a you know, a, a phone app for their vehicle now. So Hyundai's taken it to the next level where you can stand by it and kind of watch it come out and get in. It's not quite up to the Tesla summon. It'll drive quite a bit to, to get there. But I, th I think that's a nice feature, and I think it's a feature people are going to use, especially coming out of a tight garage more so than a tight parking space. So it's something they'll use. The, the interior, the connectivity technology is very seamless. The interior is very upscale looking. I drove a higher end trim, so I didn't drive one of the lower end trims. But it, it, it was quite impressive for what you get, and Hyundai just keeps improving on its vehicles greatly with each new generation. You bet. You know, it's interesting if you, if you look at, at the Sonata. I mean, um, two generations ago, they made a breakthrough in styling. And that was basically the model year uh, 2011. Um, the last generation, they tried to reel that in somewhat and, and to make it um, less polarizing for some people. And in this new 
generation of the vehicle, they decided, you know what? We were right the time before last. Let's go back to doing something that'll really be extraordinary, that'll really make people stop and take a look at this thing. And if you look at the details of what they've done, especially on the uh, exterior, that in, in the um, 2011 um, Sonata that they, they used a chrome strip that went across the car and around the DLO, the side windows, and it was like a lasso sort of look. This time what they did was, let's, let's take this up and use technology to a, a new degree. And when you have the lights on in that car, there's actually, the chrome strip is actually a light for a certain section going up the hood. I mean, it's just, it's just remarkable that, that no one has done this before. And here's, here's Sonata, and the loaded vehicle is 33.3 right. to get all this stuff, yeah. you know, including you know, a remarkable 1.6-liter um, turbo that has um, variable valve duration, something that no other auto manufacturer in the world has. And these guys put it in this mid-sized car. And as you pointed out, Lindsay, I mean, the market's going down, and they're saying, well, wait a minute, but there's still 1.5 million of these things sold a year. Right. Let's give people a reason to really want to buy our car. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just like, wow, they really over-indexed on this thing right across the board. Yeah, it's a blockbuster, I think, this car. You know, interesting backstory on that styling change you talked about. In Korea, styling is much more conservative than it is in Europe or mm -hmm. the United States. And so when that expressive design came out, it was done in their California studio. In fact, by Joel Piaskowski, who's now over at Ford running design for cars. But anyway... It sold like gangbusters, but the Koreans were very uncomfortable with it because it's also sold in Korea. And so they wanted something that was not quite as expressive, not quite as out there. That's how that next generation got all toned down. And what happened? Sales went down. They, I, they didn't go down the drain, but they were not as good as before. And that's where they said, hey, let's go back to what worked. And to your point, Gary, I, I love that chrome strip that goes all the way down the hood and it's, yeah, I think about a foot, a foot and a half. It's not really chrome. It's actually glass. So in the daylight, I don't know, they've got some polisher backing that makes it look like chrome. But at night, it, it lights up. And man, does that pop. But, you know, this is what you've got to do because their utilities are really good, too. And so how do you keep these sedan customers, like Jeff said, this kind of summons feature, um, you know, really kind of a lot of bling on the exterior? I mean, that's, that's how they got to keep people in the, in the sedan fold. In fact, one of the other uh, things that you can do using your phone is that can be the key to the car. Yeah. You know, you can yeah. start it remotely. You can give somebody else a, a pass key. Uh, codes so that if you're not able to use the car they want to use it, boom, you may email them that. Now they can use their phone to open it. And this is the kind of technology that, you know, the summon feature and the phone is a key. We've only seen on Tesla so far. So here's this fully loaded $33,300 car that is just chock full of technology. And I, I'm really impressed with it. it. It was absolutely one of my finalists for the list. Too. Yeah, me too. But we should talk a little bit about some of the other cars that didn't make the list. That I'll tell you one that I was really impressed with was uh, the Subaru Legacy. Anybody like that one? I was a little less impressed with it, honestly. I well, was, that, I think that, that I, explains why I didn't make yeah, it to be a final. I, I mean, I, I was expecting more. What, 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 you know, the, there is a bit of that. You sit in there and you go, yeah. That's how I felt when I sat in the Hyundai. When I sat in the Legacy, it was like, 
okay, somebody who likes Subarus is going to like this car. <laughs> but, but, but that was kind of how I felt. I thought the, the new display, which is highly touted, I kind of thought was a little bit cartoonish looking as opposed to, uh, to uh, something that uh, is stylish looking like you've seen in other vehicles. So my thought on the Legacy was it's fine. People who like Subarus will like this vehicle, but uh, it's, it, it's not going to be something that's going to appeal to a huge market. That was just my feeling. Yeah. The yeah. one that surprised me was the Mazda 3 not making yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, what, what, a, what a fine execution that car is. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a big puzzle. I mean, so here we have a compact vehicle in effect. Uh, comes in a hatch, and you can get a, a manual transmission with the hatch. Um, the, the detail on the interior of the sedan version and the hatch version, I mean, it's just like... How are these guys doing this? It's kind of jewel-like. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And they're a dinky little company. Yeah. That's exactly right. right. And, and so, I, you know, it goes back to your point, Lindsay, about how do you get people to buy cars today? You've got to do something that really takes it to a, a new place for them. And so you don't get in it and go, oh, that's nice. Yeah. And, and, and one yeah. thing that is probably an elephant in the room that we have to mention is full disclosure, not on any of the lists is a Tesla Model 3 because they don't provide us with those to drive. Yeah. I mean, it would be great to have that in the competition, yeah. to see how it stacks up, and, and, and I think that does have to put an asterisk on the finalists, because there were a couple of vehicles there that were out this year that fit the bill that we weren't able to drive. Same thing with the Polestar vehicle from Volvo and also the Porsche 911. That They were not available to jurors. Would any of them become car of the year? Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but unfortunately we didn't didn't get to make the comparison. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you on that, Jeff. In fact, I, I do believe the Tesla Model 3 of course, it came out the year before, if you want to get mm -hmm. technical, but it wasn't available to us the year right. before either. Yeah. But I personally believe that if a Tesla Model 3 uh, long-range high performance had been available, boom, it, it would have been on the finalist list. That's my guess. Yeah, I mean, for AutoLine uh, viewers, I mean, this has been a, a complaint that we've had as a jury because they're just... Uh, they don't follow industry convention in making, you know, 50 cars available and ample time to kind of for us to soak and sample. Or, or you should say cars available for 50 jurors. For 50 jurors. Yeah, yeah I, I've driven a Model 3, but it was one of our journalist colleagues bought one and said, would you like to drive this? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the only time I've driven one. Yeah, right. Yeah. Hey, even though we've been talking all about the cars, there's also an award for the utilities of the year and the truck of the year. I want to get some quick impressions on this. So, the finalists for the utilities are the Lincoln Aviator, the uh, Hyundai Palisade, and the Kia Telluride. Gary, some opinions there? Well, um, let's talk about the Lincoln first. I mean, it's um, their three-row, um, not the giant Navigator, which was a previous winner mm -hmm. um, two years ago, I believe, Thank for Utility Award, um, or Truck of the Year, actually. Um, you know... They have done something rather amazing, I think, that Lincoln, as it's reinventing itself in the market, I think what it has decided to do was to say, you know what, we're going to be big, plush, and powerful. And, you know, those those three words just seem to describe what they have done with, with the Aviator in a big way. Um, the base engine is a 400-horsepower engine for this thing. If you buy the Grand Touring version, which is a hybrid, that... Uh, kicks it up to uh, 494 horsepower.
but but the, but the horsepower is is not something like the aforementioned stingray. The horsepower is something that basically like moves you forward with authority through the uh, the the interior of these cars. I mean, it's just it's just lush and plush. Um, the leather is so fine. The the detailing is so good. You get a thirty way power adjustable seat that'll, oh, by the way, give you a massage because, you know, when you're driving, you've just got to have a <laughs> massage. Um, you know, the aforementioned um, phone as a key, here, here's a great example of what you were saying, John. You buy an aviator, you can get a phone as a key, but um, unfortunately, the car starts at 51.1, that's the starting price, and, you know, as we said, the loaded Sonata is 33.3, um, you know, a big difference, but I, I just think that they've done a marvelous job with that car. Yeah, yeah, we, we've you know we're really spoiled because we drive all these different cars, and so right about the time you kind of get used to something, you're driving another car. Sometimes we get in these cars and they just don't click with you for physical reasons or just intuitive reasons. With the Aviator, really cl had clicked with me from the beginning, and I drove both versions that Gary said the plug in version, the other version. I don't like the plug in version as much as the conventional version, but it was a harmony with me that I felt in that car. The, my legs, my H point, driving position, the HMI, which I tend to have problems with a lot of people's HMI. This one really worked for me. The push button transmission, all of that. I, it's just I'm simpatico with a Lincoln Aviator, and that's why I like that vehicle. Well, well, and, and you compare this to the last vehicle that carried the name Aviator, which was probably one of the worst marketing mistakes ever. Was put some extra leather on a on an Explorer, and and you got your Lincoln. Now you've got a vehicle that barely feels like an Explorer. It's great, it's luxurious, but let's not forget about the other two competitors there who could end up, I mean, you could end up seeing the Aviator win it because the Telluride and the Palisade split the vote because they're mechanically identical, but they have separate personalities, and you've got kind of two camps between the, yeah, I think the Hyundai has a better personality, yeah, I think the Kia has a better personality, but, uh, you know, they're both really magnificent vehicles for a lot less. And, and it's kind of interesting that those two vehicles made the cut, but the mass market cousin to the Aviator, the Ford Explorer, did not, which tells you how far Hyundai and Kia have come. That's a great point. That's it, right. This was an interesting year where we had uh, Ford and Lincoln versions of basically the same cousin vehicles, and we had the Hyundai and Kia version as well. Yeah. Okay, let's quickly talk the pickup trucks that made it. There's uh, the Ram Heavy Duty, the Ford Ranger, and the Jeep Gladiator. Lindsay, what do you think? Well, it's tough. Uh, two mid-sized trucks. Um, Ranger had, was Global Ranger before it came in, so it's really not all new. It was kind of uh, North American outside of North America. Outside of North America. I love the powertrain in that truck. Uh, Mustang Turbo 4 with the 10-speed transmission. I love that. I think the truck suffers a little bit, and it has in various road tests with the cabin really was not brought up to kind of current levels of does it have a 10-foot you know, screen in it? Does it have kind of HMI bells and whistles that we expect from modern cars today? As a nice parkable, pretty affordable truck, I mean, it's well under 30 grand in kind of the lower versions. I mean, it goes up to 50 really quickly, but, um, uh, you know, there's a lot to like in that truck as a basic truck. Uh, so, um, you know, 
Jeep Gladiator is more of a um, kind of a gee whiz fun vehicle than it is a direct competitor and it's only available in a four-door cab where the, the Ranger you can get in a kind of a you know base model and a, and a four-door cab uh, and then we have the heavy-duty Ram which is a totally different totally different ball of wax yeah, yeah. I, th I think that the the most interesting vehicle though is got to be the Gladiator because yeah. because it, it seems to me that when I first saw it I thought to myself okay this is going to be a Wrangler with a bed on the back. And after I spent some time driving it, um, it occurred to me, this is a Ram 1500 with a Wrangler look to it. I mean, it's, so it's, it's, like, it's like a real truck that happens to look like a Jeep. Yeah. But, but, but I, I will say the little the flip on it. I mean, the Gladiator is one of the coolest looking things on the road, but Fiat Chrysler itself admits they still need a true mid-sized pickup to compete. So that says, okay, I mean, what am I spending my forty, fifty thousand dollars on? Well, I'm spending it on a lifestyle vehicle, something that looks really cool. I mean, this particular category, I think, has the most diversity of finalists uh, of any of them. You got one huge Ram, but on the other hand, you know, hey, we gave the uh, light duty Ram the award for pretty much the same reasons last year. Then you got the Ford, which is really solid. You know, it's given them a real competitor in that midsize segment. And you got the Gladiator, which is really cool, but really pricey. So you got, you know, talk about comparing apples and oranges. We're apples, oranges, and bananas in this category. Yeah, okay, that's a good now, one. now I'm going to put you all on the spot, and it's going to be rapid fire. I don't want any opinions. I just want an answer. Car of the year. C8, Supra, or Sonata? What do you think the jury will do? Doesn't have to be what you are going to vote. How do you think, the, who do you think is going to win? Corvette. 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 Okay, I'm with you too. Corvette. Okay, utilities. There's the Lincoln Aviator, there's the Hyundai Palisade, the Kia Telluride. Lindsay, we'll start with you. Telluride. Ooh, interesting. Jeff? Palisade. Telluride. I'm going to go Telluride too. That's what I think is going to win. Okay, and trucks. We've got the Ram Heavy Duty, the Ford Ranger, the Jeep Gladiator. 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 Yeah, I think it's going to be the Gladiator, too. <laughs> Jeez. This is going to cause all kinds of arguments, though. And that, right. To me, that's half the fun of being on the jury, yep. is getting to argue. You know, what are you, crazy? How could you possibly have voted for that? I can't wait for it. Uh, I didn't say I voted for it. I said I predicted yeah, it. Yeah. You predicted yeah. that. That, that, that. Please make this clear. Yeah, that's right. Well, look, I want to thank the three of you for coming on. I mean, you know, there's a lot of automotive wisdom sitting at this table, and it's been fascinating to go through the different vehicles that are going to end up getting an award right around the corner here. So, Gary Vasilash, Lindsey Brook, Jeff Gilbert, thank you for your time today. Thank and you. as I always like to say, thank you for having tuned in. challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax and consulting for the middle market.